Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, we we have a little chat before we record this that will come as a a surprise to some people, but I can tell even this far away, you're on on tenterhooks. I can hear you jumping from from foot to foot, Kieran. (laughs) Well, yes, uh, it's Brighton's first ever chance to get into Europe. Well, our second ever chance, but first was, uh, was in fact, 40 years ago today. Was it? Recording this on the Sunday, the FA Cup final 1983, uh, and uh, Smith didn't score. And, uh, you yeah, know, I, I honestly thought that was it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, I, I am very, very nervous indeed. 40 years ago today? I, I, I'm normally good at putting that day in my diary. <laughs> uh, uh, and you'll laugh at Brighton Day. Uh, you'll be fine. You're playing Southampton, Kieran. You'll, you'll steamroll the Southampton kids, won't you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to panic. Why are you panicking? <laughs> apart, from <laughs> the fact, apart from the fact that it's a Smith song, Kieran, obviously it was, uh, it's, it's clear that your tribute to Andy Rourke has sad loss to us all. is going to be crowbarring Smith songs in. Uh, <clears throat> I've made a list of a couple of obscure ones just so I can keep up with you. Um, it's questions day, Kieran. There's uh, one big news story I want to discuss because it's um, annoying me a little bit. I have to say, I'm 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 o- I'm over Jurgen Klopp a bit now, and he's was fined seventy five thousand pound this week, two game ban. A lot of people are expecting more, but he's he's uh, getting a bit sniffy about where the money might go if he decides to pay it, Kieran. I don't think he'll have a choice with regards to paying it. Um, That is a decision which is made by the Football Association. Um, And if if nobody else can determine the Mm. uh, recipient of the money, um, then I'll be very surprised if if Jürgen Klopp can have a special uh, rule just for him. So, um, you know, we we all know that referees make decisions we don't always agree with. But... We, yeah, we've had referees on the show. I used to referee myself. You you make you make a decision in in good faith. Players cheat, and players are coached to cheat as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I just find it a, a bit strange. Anybody sort of try and take any uh, high ground on this? Well, it's the fact. It's the arrogance, Kieran. He behaved very badly in front of the TV cameras, and now saying, "Well, I might pay the fine. I might not. I want to know where the money's going." It's not up to you, mate. And, and I know he's a Liverpool legend, Kieran, but frankly, Mr Shankly wouldn't approve. <laughs> yeah, that's my one for the day. We, that's over and done with. Pretty much the only reason we did the, the Jürgen Klopp story, Kieran, so I could get one in. Uh, now, our first question comes from Marcus Makin, and we were discussing just yesterday after the Fulham game, if any player deserves a testimonial, it's Joel Ward for Palace, but Marcus Makin says you don't tend to hear of too many testimonials these days. It used to be a way of a player being given a payday for being such a good servant to the club. Do players still have to give players testimonials after 10 years? And can you have one of the players been at a club for less than 10 years? Um, The the original purpose of testimonials was to effectively have a a parachute payment for football players Mm. as they transitioned from being a professional athlete towards what you might call civilian life. Um, and also, um, it was a, it was a chance to say goodbye if, if mm. a player had been at a club for a long period of time. Um, 
As far as the financial implications are concerned, clearly players in the Premier League are very well remunerated. The the average salary around about two point seven million pounds a year. Um, but there was a tax change in 2017, which meant that having a testimonial was no longer as beneficial as before. Um, and, and the change was brought in. And part of this was a, you know, was a populist uh, activity. You know, footballers are easy targets. Um, pre- previously, the testimonial income had been effectively ring-fenced and tax-free. But uh, the changes that were brought in meant that any, any money over uh, £50,000 had had to be taxed and national insurance was paid on top of that as well, um, which meant that the player would, would get less of it. Now, if you are a League One or a League Two player, £50,000 is still a substantial amount of money. So th- they still do exist. Uh, I mean, to be fair to many of the elite players, they, they do still have testimonials um, and they they have the proceeds going to charity. Which is which is great, you know, raising money for a good cause and, and fair play to them for that. Um, but I think the other challenge is that the the football clubs themselves that they 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 they, they, know, they want the players to disappear on holiday as soon as the season finishes. Yeah, um, and the reason for that is that they want them back as early as possible because they can make loads of money out of them on pre season tours. Um, so it, it's it's becoming more and more difficult to arrange. You've got uh, the stadiums are being used for different purposes, concerts and so on. Um, you've got the groundsman who is instantly grumpy um, as soon as uh, any opportunity arises. And if you say, "Oh well, two weeks after the season ends, we're having a uh, we're having an additional match," it'll it'll give you the full the full grumpy looks there. Um, so. They, they do exist. Um, they're not as common as before because there tends to be more transitions as far as players are concerned. Um, there does, you don't have to be there for 10 years, but it would normally be that if a player has been at a club for quite a few years, it could be as part of the contract negotiations for an extension of the contract uh-huh. that a testimonial is brought into it. Yeah, groundsmen are born grumpy, Kieran. I think pretty much what happens is that football club owners go around primary schools and pick out the grumpiest five-year-old kid they can find. <laughs> <laughs> train them to be a groundsman. Uh, it's it's an indication of what a delightful man Julian Speroni is and what a wonderful person he was as a Palace player that when he was offered a testimonial, Steve Parrish, and Steve Parrish told me this story himself, Steve said, I, I, you pick any team you want, Julian, we'll sell out Sellers Park, you can have Barcelona, we'll have Real Madrid, and Julian Speroni went, no, I want Dundee. Because <laughs> that was the club, <laughs> that was the club that gave him his first, uh, his first break in English football. Uh, Scottish football, I beg your pardon, British football. Uh, I'm going to try and claim that was a Smith's lyric now to get myself out of geographical trouble. Uh, <laughs> so no, he wanted and, and he he chose Dundee and you know probably lost about fifty thousand quid out of it because we didn't sell Sellers Park out. But it was a cracking evening. Um, Paul Downton has our next question. Um, mm. Paul says um, it's an interesting one. In light of fans of fourteen Premier League clubs believing rightly or wrongly. Uh, I'm going to go rightly, Paul, that there is a perceived bias towards six clubs in terms of officiating and money in order to help stave off a potential breakaway to pastures new. It occurred to me that what would happen if those 14 clubs actually said, stuff this, we're getting a bum deal, we've had enough, we're breaking away back to the EFL. Would it be legal and would it be financially viable? Because it's, you know, it's, it's never going to happen, Kieran, but you know, we talk so much about the top six possibly mm. the top seven with Newcastle. 
eventually, inevitably, one day in, in decades to come, breaking away. So what if the others just say, right, we'll, we'll do it first? Well, if we take a look at the Premier League handbook, um, you, you've got to have 14 clubs voting for uh, any changes. Hmm. So um, I think with Newcastle potentially now being part of the elite group, uh, given the, the change of ownership, it would be very difficult because I can't see more than 13 clubs ever voting for right. something. So I think we are going to have a... Uh, but I, I was actually talking to somebody very, very senior in football a few days ago um, and, and the subject of so you know, super... Fin- Finley doesn't like it when you name drop. <laughs> it's not only you name drop, you don't drop the actual name, Kieran. <laughs> um, and... We, we, we came to the conclusion that whilst we both loathe Super League, probably the best thing for British football is for those six clubs to have set up their own competition and to have walked, and to be excluded from domestic football. Yeah, perhaps uh, they can play in the FA Cup. Okay. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is that it is financially impossible uh, to, 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 to break into the, the big six. When Leicester City won the Premier League in 2016, the response of the big six clubs was to force through, under threat of creating a a Super League, Mm. um, was to force through changes in the way that the TV money is distributed so that they got more and the the smaller clubs got less. So therefore, in in monetary terms, the gap between the big six and and the other 14 now averages £300 million, which is... You know, it, it does make it difficult to, to hold on to your best players. You might be able to hold on to one. You know, you've got Wilfred Zaha, you know, and we've spoken about his contract and so on, mm. um, off it. Um, you might be able to do it with one player, but you're not going to be able to do it with three. Or four. You're not going to do it with you know, enough players to form a squad that can be genuinely challenging. Um, so could, they, could you have 14 clubs? Yes. Would it be legal? I suspect there would be a legal challenge, and our silver-tongued friends would be... Uh, would be asking themselves uh, you know, how how this would uh, go through the system. Um, would it be financially viable? I I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you've you've only got to look at the fact that uh, you know Bradford City are getting twenty two thousand people turning up in the fourth yeah. tier of English football to know that from a from an attendance point of view, uh, the numbers are looking really strong. But from a broadcast point of view, um, whilst there is, I think, resentment from many fans uh, in, in respect of the amount of attention that the the big six clubs um, get, or the rich six clubs, they're not big. You know, well, you know, Spurs haven't won anything mm. since, uh, yeah, they've not won the, the, the league since 1962. Um, so I, I think it would, I think it would not be financially sensible to do. Um, and in terms of Paul's belief uh, that there is a perceived bias towards six clubs. I, I'm going with the wrongly. You know, as much as I, uh, as much, much as my teeth gnash, you know, Liverpool had a goal disallowed um, yesterday, for example, at home to Villa. Uh, but it's uh, there, there is certainly a case for saying to those those clubs, if you want a, uh, if, if you want to join a competition where you don't have to win football matches to be part of it, go away. Form your own uh, Super League and a Premier League with Leeds, Newcastle, Villa, West Ham, Palace, Brighton, Forest, uh, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, Birmingham, uh, potentially Rangers and Celtic 
you know, could come down as well, and, and that would be a completely separate issue, would actually uh, have far greater unpredictability. And uh, you know, as fans, we, we would acclimatise to it very quickly. I presume you're going to divulge the name of this uh, high-ranking official after we stop the recording, Kieran. Until then, I'll just stretch out and wait. Um, was it 62 or 61 Tottenham last? Um, 62. It was 62. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this it's an interesting argument, though, Kieran, because there are quite a few of our Scottish friends who um, posit the theory that the Scottish league would be better off without Rangers and Celtic, mm. which is always one I've I've found difficult to to agree with, because certainly competitively they would, but financially you can't imagine that the crowds would go up high enough to to make up for the the loss of playing those clubs four times a season. Yeah, I mean, what does what difference does it make? Well, financially, <laughs> financially, it would be significant, and yeah, we've also got the the Scottish TV deal, which is very much driven by the appeal of of Rangers and Celtic. We've, we've got Neil Doncaster coming on the show shortly, and, and I think the the Scottish TV issue, I, I suspect, will be one of the areas where where listeners have uh, have sent in questions. Mm. Uh, our next question comes from Joan Taylor, and it's. Um, It's pertinent to a subject we've been talking about quite a lot recently, Kieran. And Joan says, on a recent show, you mentioned Peterborough's debt as being 13.5 million, mainly due to the owners, or mainly owed to the owners, I should say. Mm. Uh, Joan says, I'm a Leeds fan that got interested in Peterborough when they launched a fan bond earlier in the summer. The document there stated that only about half of the debt was to the owners, and the rest is some sort of hedge fund called Old Kent Road Financial which I believe was Uncle Terry's original company, was it not? Um, <laughs> yes. uh, so Joan says, I presume this means Old Kent Road will be charging interest then. Do they get theirs first? And is it the same amount as the bond? Have I actually found something strange or is this all quite normal? Um, well, first of all, Joan, uh, yeah, w- well done for uh, yeah, doing the uh, doing the hard yards on this. Yeah. Um, P- Peterborough have taken out a number of loans in both November uh, 2022 and March 2023. And those loans are what we refer to as secured loans. So it's the, it's the equivalent of mortgages. We've also got this relationship with Old Kent Road Financial. Now, Old Kent Road Financial is a dormant company. It doesn't appear to be doing anything. But if you take a look at its registered address, it just happens to be uh, Peterborough's football ground. So it's all a little bit circular um, and uneasy. Um, Peterborough in their 2021 accounts, and, and they've they, they've done a bit of a uh, a bit of a circumvention in delaying their their 2022 accounts, which, which I personally think is is well out of order, yeah. given that they have asked fans in good faith to buy into the posh bond then in my view, they owe those fans who are now stakeholders, they owe those fans a duty of care um, and, and to be treated in a more decent manner. Um, and, and for the sake of transparency, I've bought into the posh bond. Yeah, I, 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 so, you know, I, and I, I can add up and then sort of do some sums. But the, the interest on the loans that Joan referred to, um, those, those were £700,000 in 2021. And since then, uh, the, the, the the quantum of the loans has gone up. Um, 
the secured loans would be paid in priority to the unsecured loans. And this is this is the risk that you have with something such as a posh bond. And we've had successful ones at Norwich and at QPR. Uh, Wimbledon have their own. We've just seen Bolton launch theirs. They do pay a good rate of interest, um, but they are unsecured and they, and they come with that risk. Uh, there is some protection for people that have bought those bonds. Um, they can't be used to repay existing debt. They've got what we refer to as a change of control clause, um, such that you know, if a new owner comes in, let's say Lawrence Bassini rocked up mm. at Peterborough and they sold him the club, the first thing I'd be wanting to do as a lender is getting my money out of that club as soon as possible. So so there is a degree of protection there, but it's it's still an unsecured loan. So, um yeah, it, it's it, it's a funny one, and, and I'm a bit twitchy with regards to Peterborough because the the stadium company's been put into receivership. Um, and there's there's talk from Darren McAntony uh, that there's nothing to worry about, but I, I'd rather see actions rather than talk. Mm, this notion that it can't be used to pay off existing debts is that uh, a law? or Is that a football regulation? Because that's a condition of the loan. So right. if, if you go through the small print of the of the posh bond, and and, and this is this is there to protect those fans who who love the club um, and you know want the club to progress. Yeah, there has been talk about moving to a new ground. The club has said specifically that the money raised from the bond would be used for effectively infrastructure, capital expenditure projects, right? You know, training right. facilities, better better academy, and so on. Um, so that is actually laid out in in the small print of the bond itself, but it's not it's not actually a legal thing. Uh, you know, uh, the, the law is uh, very very relaxed when it comes to individual lending arrangements, as yeah. Uncle Terry will. Yeah, indeed, I've always liked uh, the name Joan. In fact, I love the name Joan because my my aunt Joan, God rest her soul, was the nicest, kindest person you could meet, but. I'm now slightly worried, Kieran, given our demographic, it might actually be Juan Taylor from Barcelona. Well, um, <laughs> if, it's, if it is Joan, then Joan, please get in touch because it's uh, lovely to hear from you. Jonathan Wright there's not, has there's not many people from. Yeah, but are there many people from Barcelona with the surname Taylor? No, that's that's a fair point. It could, unless it's Taylor, which is yeah, yeah, very, yeah, good, good, could be. It's very unlikely, Kieran, isn't it? Um, thank you for your question, Joan. Jonathan Wright says the Premier League hasn't had a title sponsor for a while now, so I'm guessing it's not something that is deemed to be as lucrative as it must have been in the past. Is there a particular reason for this? What's stopping the Premier League from accepting a title sponsor? And are they open to the idea in the future? It seems an odd source of income to refuse. Well, uh, I think you've raised an interesting uh, question here, uh, Jonathan, and I'm glad that, uh, that you brought it up. The, the Premier League made a conscience, conscious decision to not have its uh, its product with a main sponsor. And the reason for that is that it decided that the sum of the parts by having a series of small sponsors would be greater than the whole. And uh, th- this has been borne out that if you go to the Premier League website and you ferret around the back pages, which, of course, is, <laughs> is, is the type of place I like to ferret. Um, I, that, that sounds like one of your vis euphemisms, Kieran. <laughs> you spent a week ferreting around the back pages. Um you'll find that in 2122, 
um, the Premier League actually generated £136 million from what they refer to as central sponsors. So we now have an official beer of the Premier League, which is Budweiser. But they didn't want Budweiser to sponsor the Premier League because that has potential issues in in terms of some of the export markets of the Premier League, if if you're going to those countries in in which alcohol is prohibited. Um, EA Sports uh, sponsors the Premier League. Uh, We've got Nike has the official football. Castrol is the official motor oil. Which, which I didn't know there was an official motor oil of the Premier League. Hublot is the official timekeeper. And uh, and finally, we have Oracle, which is the official cloud partner of the Premier League. You know, I, I wake up in the morning and say, do, do I need an official cloud partner? Well, apparently I do. Um, so, so this money is split evenly. Um, and this is one of the areas where the... Uh, the sneaky six have not yet managed to say, well, that's only down to us. Give us more of it um, yet. Uh, but you know, the, the, you know, when it comes to the Premier League, these, these things take time as far as the, the big clubs are concerned. Um, and I'm sure that they will be pressing the Premier League. So that that's one reason. And the other reason is that it can lead to conflict between the Premier League and the clubs themselves. So, so we've seen in Scotland where um, they've got Kazoo as their, their official partner of the SPFL, but Rangers don't, didn't like that because their, their former chairman owned his own car company. And so therefore, if you had, let's say the Premier League went back to being supported by Barclays, mm. you, you've got Liverpool being sponsored by Standard Chartered. That's another financial services company. You've got Brighton being supported by by American Express. That's another financial uh, services company. And those clubs would say, look, yeah, our, our sponsors are, are a bit cheesed off. So the Premier League just say, right, we'll concentrate on having small partners who together you know, clubs are making seven million pounds a year from these deals. Yeah, you know, that, that's that, that's the equivalent of what the clubs, you know, a, a, a club like Brighton or Palace is probably getting from their front of shirt sponsorship. So, by having these these smaller partners for the Premier League itself, it's actually generating a lot of money uh, and, and not having an overall brand. And the Premier League also believes that its own brand is so big and so valuable, it doesn't need to be tainted by that of another. Uh, uh, Another commercial partner as as a as a senior a senior partner. I mean, it's not it's not the Coca Cola FIFA World Cup, for example, is yeah. it? And, and, and and people wouldn't accept that. Do you know what? I I, I feel quite miserable. I haven't got an official cloud partner. I, that's a concept that's never occurred to me, and now I, I feel like half a person. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Do you know what? Do you know who I'd like? I'd like to see sponsor the Premier League here, Manscaped. 
yeah. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to watch match of the day on a Saturday night and say Gary Lineker saying, and first up in the Manscaped Premier League, um, <laughs> Jared Grit has a little insight into his home life here, Kieran. <laughs> yes, which, which I, I suspect is a, is a home life that you would thoroughly approve of. Um, yes, I'm high fiving him. <laughs> uh, Jared says my partner and I were having a deep and intense and nerdy conversation about football. <laughs> uh, is there any other sort? And she asked if I knew whether youth players are protected by a rule similar to the Jackie Coogan law in the States, in which 50% of a child actor's earnings are put into trust account until the child comes of age. As football is an industry employing so many youths, often from disadvantaged backgrounds, surely some sort of pot similar to the aforementioned would provide some, albeit small degree of financial protection, to those who may be vulnerable to financial exploitation uh, and abuse. And I'd like to say, Kieran, that 14 and 15-year-olds in this country weren't subject to financial exploitation and abuse in football, but I'm not sure I could say that with a 100% conviction. So this is a very interesting question. Yes, and, and for those people not familiar with the um, with, with the Jackie Coogan law. Uh, Jackie Coogan was a child actor. His his parents were involved in the theatre as well. Um, and he was discovered by Charlie Chaplin and mm. he became a child star. And he earned around about three to four million dollars. Um, and his, his finances were actually being um, looked after very sensibly by his father. Mm. And his father and two other relatives were then killed in a car crash. I think it was in 1919. And uh, his mother remarried uh, uh, remarried a financial advisor. Uh, and the financial advisor um, spent all of the money on fur coats and diamonds and holidays and such. Um, and when... Uh, when uh, sorry. When Jackie Coogan found out, uh, he, he tried to effectively sue them. And he, he got a little bit of money uh, back. So so this law was introduced to provide an element of protection. And it's not a huge amount of protection because, let's face it, 15% of your earnings is going into this pot. That means the other 85% isn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, as far as – and Jackie Coogan, uh, he, he married he married Betty Grable. Mm. That's, that's, that's fun fact of the day. Um, but uh, he, he – didn't get very much money from it in the end, and, and uh, what little money he did get, he invested in the business, and that business uh, sadly failed as well. As far as footballers are concerned, they are not officially paid. Uh, you, you can have a, an academy contract effectively on, on your 16th birthday, but that only that doesn't go very far. You can sign your first professional contract at the age of on your 17th birthday, um, but you only can sign a maximum of three years. Right. And I, I know that uh, those Premier League clubs who view these children as uh, as commodities have been pushing to extend that three-year contract period. Because let, let's let's say that your birthday was today. You know, it's, you, you, you're a player um, and, you, and you turn 17 at, towards the end of May 2023. Um, so therefore, if you sign a... Uh, a, a three-year contract that's only going to cover you 
for effectively for for the, the rest of this season and the next two seasons because contracts always expire on the 30th of June. So you, you could be effectively out of contract in just over two years and therefore you could go to another club. And the the bigger clubs in particular don't like the idea of uh, anybody making money out of children apart from themselves. Mm. So there there is no protection as such. Um, you and I are, are both aware of uh, the incentivization um, uh, by certain people in the game towards children, and, and it tends to be towards the children's parents. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, when I've spoken to to people, uh, yeah, we both we both got connections. It's it, it happens all the time. The kids want to, yeah. The kids like the idea of you know mum and dad having a better house or a new car. The kids likes the idea of getting a PS five and a new set of boots on birthday or Christmas. You know there are various ways of incentivizing without having a formal contract. It it does happen, um, but uh, there there is no formal way of. Uh, giving them protection in a trust account because they're not actually allowed to earn money as as children. Hmm. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, PS5, Kieran, and I'm aware this might be the most sad middle-aged thing I've ever asked you, but how are you getting on with uh, the new Zelda game? It's uh, it's it's amazing. I've been uh, uh, I've been ensconced. Uh, yeah. You know, well, well, I wonder how long it will take me to finish it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I did my first temple on Friday night. Uh, oh, did you? I, I, I was so a little lap. The cat was very confused because I don't often do a lap of honor around the house. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I found myself at Fulham yesterday at one stage going, I wonder how, how do I get to the next one? Um, if I fit, sound a bit croaky, by the way, um, I'm not still ill. It's just that yesterday... Uh, was the best away support I've been involved with uh, for any game of Fulham, 90 minutes. Uh, so there's a lot of singing going on. And if there are any Fulham fans listening here, make some noise, for the love of God. You've got a Premier League football team that are quite good, a bit divey, but just get behind them, really. Um, our next question comes from um, an old friend of ours, Kieran, an American listener, mm. probably our, our most long-standing American listener. And his question is is slightly related to Jonathan Wright's question from earlier about the Premier League. But Mark says, do media outlets in the UK have a contractual obligation to use corporate names on things like stadiums? I've heard that in the US, networks tow the party line so they don't upset the leagues with whom they do business. So it's quite right. The the stadium name will always have the, the name of the sponsor in front of it. So I've noticed in the UK, though, that many outlets refer to the League Cup without naming its energy drink sponsor. But would they risk angering, for example, Brentford by not using the name of its new corporate sponsor for their stadium? When radio and TV stations broadcast from Barcelona, will they just call it the Camp Nou or will they have to use the name of the streaming service that sponsored it? I I think this is an intriguing one. I think this is a case of soft pressure. Is put on, yeah. Uh, you know, to me, Spurs play at White Hart Lane, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, to me, Coventry City play at the Rico, uh, and and so on, because it, it's always that first name. And, and you know, Spurs are playing at White Hart Lane. Uh, it's, and I understand why the club has been working so hard to persuade the media to say the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, because as we discussed on more than one occasion, the first sponsor is the the critical one in terms of value. Um, especially if you're looking for a long-term deal. Um, I, I don't think there would be any... You, it's very difficult to force pundits who, who are, are, are themselves don't tend to be employed by the broadcasters. Yeah, they, they would tend to have freelance contracts. Um, but th- 
the 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 broadcasters themselves will probably be more inclined to toe the party line because um, they're also asking the the press office for interviews with managers and players. And if the press office turns around and says, "Well, hold on, you've you've not called it the yeah the Wham Stadium." Mm. You've been referring it to the Accrington, Accrington Stanley Stadium, whatever it's yeah. going to be. Um, you know, two two can not play ball uh, as well as one. Um, so I think, from practical reasons, and you know, why why create uh, why create friction unnecessarily? Um, that the the, uh, the media tend to go along with that, but you know, individuals don't tend to uh, take the same approach. Well, that's a good point, Kiri, because I noticed you know, the BBC and Sky are, are you know, if you're talking. To me, it's still Griffin Park. But if you're you're listening or watching a football game, they will say, now we're going over to whatever community stadium it is. Um, But it's fans who won't call it that. Brentford fans say, I'll meet you outside the whatever community stadium it is. They'll just say the ground or... But then again, I don't think the sponsors would care what fans call it to each other because that's not where Mm. the money lies, is it? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, Absolutely right. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Richard. Um, You know I'm edgy about... (laughs) <laughs> uh, one names, but I, I think the reason why Richard has very cleverly not given his surname is that this question is so, so up your street that I think Richard is probably worried that you might track him down and try and be his new best friend. Um, so he's kept it just at Richard. Richard, that won't stop him. He'll he'll have a spreadsheet of all the Richards in the in the in the world. Um, I, I, it's one of those I'll zone out when you give the answer to this question. <laughs> it's okay. it's, it's, if you don't mind, I'll. If I, I'll have a little think about the next temple in Zelda while you're doing this. Uh, Richard says, what does treasury management look like in football? I, I'm gone already, Kieran. Do they have cash sur- surplus they invest or is it more debt management? What will their considerations be for liquidity, exchange rate, interest and refinancing risk? With large international payments for players, is there a big demand for synthetic four walls, etc.? Is this function likely to be internal or outsourced? I assume this depends on the size of the club. I don't even know if I asked that question properly, Kieran. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> you, you, you did perfectly well. What's a synthetic forwards? It, it should say that actually said synthetic forward. I, I thought that, but then again, it, it's forwards is probably something in Zelda, so maybe I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll find out in the next temple, won't we? We will. <laughs> um, with, with with regards to this, Richard. You're very much right. It, it does depend upon the size of the club and also whether the uh, the club is listed and the nature of its activities. So, if we take Manchester United, for example, um, if you go, if you delve into the Manchester United accounts, you do see reference to to interest rate swaps because the club is heavily indebted. Um, it's uh, it also has derivatives, and a derivative is effectively something which is is based on the value of something else, such as an exchange rate, and so on. Um, and Manchester United, as far as I'm aware, I think they do have their own internal uh, function, but it, it tends to be from the, uh, you know, from from the accounts department. They, they 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 don't pop down the road and find a bunch of rush home ruffians who they will try to uh, get to uh, do 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 the job for them. Um, when it comes to smaller clubs, there'd be outsourcing. But what what I have found is that there is now a whole industry of people providing services to to football clubs so um when it comes to uh overseas transfers there's there's insurance policies there's sub-insurance policies there are uh, there are 
forward exchange rate deals which are taken out to protect the club uh, and so on. So it is it is becoming uh, increasingly popular simply because uh, the the size of the football industry has increased. It's, it's, it's gone up by 2,800% since 1992. And uh, you know, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't bothering the, the financial services industry when it started. But now it is. Yeah, we were talking about you know, financial services earlier with some of the uh, sponsors of clubs. Uh, we now have specialist departments at banks who are targeting footballers because they are high net worth individuals and therefore you know, the bank wants to offer them a suite of services to, to help them uh, preserve their money you know, to make sure that we don't end up with, a, uh, with another Jackie Coogan situation. Uh, <clears throat> I had a little bet with myself, Kieran, that you'd crowbar Russia and ruffians in there somewhere. But I'll be honest with you, I, I thought you'd go down the cricket club route. I thought you'd manage to find a way to mention the Prowler and then you'd say he was one of the Russian ruffians. But well done, you, you, you just you just got it in there, slipped it in like a little stiletto. How is the Prowler? Do you still in touch with the Prowler these days, Kim? Yeah, yeah, we, we had our... Uh... Uh, Legends game. At, uh, it's, uh, it's my cricket club's hundredth anniversary. Oh, so, wow. uh, yes, they, I believe the, the, the Prowler was there along with the Slob and, and Village Idiot and uh, uh, you know the Size Five and, and, and other other such uh, uh, cohabitants of of the dressing room. Yeah, you, you reach a certain age, Kieran, where it's probably not not suitable to be called the Prowler anymore, is it? <laughs> It's, like, it's like my mate Penge Penis. It's like it's 60, <laughs> it's 62. I was, you, you know our friend of the show, Julian Chenry. We, we were in the in the pub yesterday before the Fulham game, which is known in local parlance as the, the Sloney Pony. And he introduced me to his friends. Like, this is my friend, Edgy. And it's like, I just said to him, have you not got any friend who's just got a normal first name? And you not just go, this is John. Every single person he introduces me to. And, of course, and then and all afternoon I'm a bit worried, thinking, well, why is he called Edgy? He seems all right. And it turns out his, sec- his first name's Ed and his second name begins with G. So it's just like oh, Ed. Right. So it's, it's like literally one of the worst. But anyway, Edgy seemed like a nice bloke, a bit too fond of Everton. But oh, apart from that, this is uh, yet another reason why we're not getting nominated for Baptist Kieran, because we get so distracted. Um, what was that noise in the background? Uh, that is the Baroness uh, with her Nespresso coffee machine, uh, which, which means because uh, because she always gives Finley a wonky chomp when she gets it. He, he is a Pavlovian reaction. That, no matter where he is in the house, as soon as he hears that, off he goes in in search of wonky chomps. Yeah, just just for a moment there, I thought Finley had got hold of your manscaping equipment. <laughs> um, our next question comes from David Williams. Uh, yeah. It, three months ago, I would have suggested that David Williams didn't give his surname because this question would have really annoyed you. Uh, he's, he's had one wonky chop too many by the sound of it. Has, has he gone over? Yes, he's uh, very, very giddy. Uh, David Williams says, when Graham Potter moved from Brighton to Chelsea, the numbers banded around were staggering. Uh, if the numbers are true, it seems that Chelsea spent £37 million in changing managers, £15 million compensation to Tuchel, and £22 million compensation to Brighton. This is in addition to the £270 million spent on new signings. Is it possible to tell me how they will be able to comply with FFP for both the Premier League and much stricter UEFA criteria after all this spending? Now, this question, Kieran, and our next question coming up, is an indication that no matter how much we talk about it, our, our listeners and me still find it hard to get their head around FFP and assume 
that any club spending huge amounts of money must be breaching FFP regulations. Yes, well, um, under Todd Bowley, and as we know, he's I'm not a member of his fan club, um, Chelsea have a very cunning way of getting around the UEFA FFP rules by not qualifying for Europe, <laughs> which, which you know, I, I doff my cap uh, begrudgingly in, in his direction. Um, under the UEFA rules, it used to be that clubs were allowed to lose a maximum of 30 million euro over three years. Now, we now are in a transition. That, that 30 million can become 60 million, but we, we're moving to sort of a soft wage cap as well. As far as the Premier League is concerned, you're, you're allowed to lose 105 million worth um, over three years. Um, what Chelsea are good at uh, are generating uh, huge sums from player sales, £551 million over the course of the last five years. And it, it's... There's two issues with the sale of players. A, how much money do you generate? And B, how much of that money is profit? Now, profit is the difference between the sale price and the amortised value of the player's contract. What Chelsea have been very successful at doing is creating this production line of players from their academy who they then go on to sell. So therefore, there's no amortised value. So it's, it's a pure profit. And I think the challenge for Chelsea this summer is clearly they've got to, yeah, we're talking football here, but we'll... You know, hopefully that, uh, that, that won't send people asleep. It, you know, it, it will be sort of moving around to the financing. Loftus-Cheek, Hudson-Odoi, uh, Connor Gallagher, Levi Colville, Mason Mount, cost Chelsea between them zero. Now, if you yeah, sell three of those players for £150 million, that's £150 million, which is immediately offset against their uh, FFP losses. Um, and then when it comes to buying players, you know, we... we yeah, we we examined this at the time. They're offering players nine-year contracts. Yeah. So the cost of buying the players is being spread over a huge period of time. The sales value of the players is being recognised immediately, but also by letting the players go who are coming from the academy, those sales proceeds are also pure profit. So uh, Chelsea provided they're smart and they let you know clearly Mason Mount doesn't appear to be overjoyed there uh Levi Colwell there's a place on the south coast waiting for you you've only got to say the word young man he's been very good this season um you you sell two or three of those players and uh Chelsea I think will be fine and that will allow them to to be within the the FFP limits yeah I I have to keep reminding myself Kieran that, that these rules are not about how much you spend it's about how much you lose Yes, basically, isn't it? Yes. As simple as that. Barry Roper has our next question, and it, it combines two things uh, that exercise our listeners quite a lot. Uh, Barry says, I read that when my team QPR signed Taylor Richards from Brighton on loan, the contract included an obligation to buy. Uh, options to buy are commonplace, but is the obligation just a way of kicking a purchase down the line to avoid FFP problems? Right, Barry. Um, it, it's it's not actually. Um, it, it's there to actually provide protection for 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 all of the parties involved. Um, but they are a relatively new uh, issue. These obligation to buy, an obligation to buy is triggered by a condition in the contract, and that condition, when the contract is signed, is uncertain. So. There could have been perhaps two obligations to buy as far as the, the Taylor Richards was concerned. It could be if uh, if QPR maintained their championship status, for example, 
then the condition is triggered, or it could have been linked to the number of appearances, or it could be linked to to promotion and so on. Um, QPR did maintain their place in the championship. Therefore, that uh, we, we say that that particular condition crystallizes, yeah. and therefore the rest of the contract uh, kicks in, kicks into uh, existence. Um, they are becoming more common. The, the alternative to that is an option to buy. Let's say that Taylor Richards had had an absolutely standout season, um, and the the buyout figure in the contract was five million. They they trigger it. They buy him for five million. And that they sell him in the summer for twenty five. Can you see that that that's, that sort of gives QPR um, the option? And if he turned out to be crap, they just say, "No, he's a bit crap." Goes back to the home club. So yeah. it's a way of protecting the selling club to an extent um, uh, in, in the in the contract. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Stephen Horn, and Stephen starts by saying that he is a lowly supporter of Sheffield Wednesday which is an indication of how long our waiting list is, because I imagine uh, he's still cock-a-hoop since... Oh, yes. what, a, what a night that... I mean... Brilliant. I, Peterborough, I've got nothing against Peterborough whatsoever, no. but that was an astonishing, astonishing night. I don't know if you saw Darren Moore's little pep talk afterwards. He's a, a man who carries himself well, and that was a fantastic achievement. Uh, sorry, Peterborough fans. But Stephen also adds that he's pushing 50 years of age, uh, probably 55 now in the waiting list. <laughs> and he says, I appreciate I may be out of the loop, but I've often wondered whilst watching my lads play FIFA computer games why it's only the big clubs that have legends. I'm sure there are plenty of supporters from the not-so-big teams that would love to see their legends represented. I might even pick up my own joystick again if I could purchase David Hurst or Chris Waddle. Um, I've got news for you. I think, I think most computer games have moved on from joysticks, haven't they? Kieran and I are both out of the loop a little bit except when it comes to Zelda uh, if there is a game that's got a joystick out there and well done for not giggling at the word joystick Kieran, I congratulate you baby steps, one step at a time it's very good Uh, it's an interesting question Kieran because these games do feature so called legends Hmm. and like you said there are are millions of football fans who don't support uh, clubs who have legends who play these games yes um, the reason why there isn't a a legends for, for Sheffield Wednesday, and, and, and first of all, and also congratulations. You know, I, I'm sure uh, I'm, I was like many people who, who, after the first leg, said, "I know it's over uh, for them," but but it wasn't. Yeah, you know, and 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 they a great night out, and one 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 which will last in the memory for a long time. Um, it's it's purely down to um, sort of supply and demand. The, the the likes of EA will say we have capacity for say 400 legends players which teams are going to produce the most interest it's going to be manchester united barcelona psg uh, bayern munich and so on. And, and they do it on on the clubs um uh, that that they know are going to generate the most demand how many sheffield wednesday fans of steven's age are going to buy to going to buy a, a copy of fifa on the back of having a legends 
it could be measured, you know, perhaps in dozens. Right. And they say, well, you know, first of all, we, we've got to uh, arrange some form of, of intellectual payment and intellectual property payment to the player. Then we've got to uh, get a picture of the player and we've got to do the, you know, the cell shading. We've got to do the, the bits and pieces which go into uh, you know, the likeness of the player. And, and it simply isn't cost effective from, from the game's uh, producer's point of view. But this is a shame because I'm sure you'd love, you know, Palace you know, team of the 80s. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see anyone of the team of the 80s kick Peter Ward all over the pitch. In a, in a girl. That'd be, I'd, I'd sign up for that without a doubt. Um, cell shading, have you, which teenager have you been talking to to research this question? Um, it's, it's all over Zelda, baby. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm slightly worried now. I've been thinking about the um, question we had from Mark Cole about Sponsors are not upsetting. Maybe if we're not, if this pod's not sponsored by Manscaped, and I've been all over it, Manscaped-wise. I know we don't do athletic greens anymore, but I wouldn't want athletic greens to be upset because they'd sponsored it, and we were talking about Manscaped. But we'll let I'll let producer guy sort that problem out, Kieran, because that's what he's paid the big bucks for. <laughs> uh, our next Price of Football live show will take place at Plymouth Argyle's Home Park Stadium on Tuesday, the sixth of June. Tickets are selling very well, but there are still some available from Plymouth Argyle's website. It would be lovely to see you down there. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them, that would be very kind of you, and you could do so and make a small monthly contribution by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thank you to everybody, um, and uh, a big thank you to uh, everybody in Newcastle who was who was so much fun on uh, Thursday night uh, when I, when I took the Baroness up to Newcastle for a for a, uh, a Thursday evening date. She was she was very tolerant. Was it was it an anniversary, Kieran? Was it a special trip? It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but uh, she. She she joined in as we were staying uh, close to the big market. Uh, she uh, yeah, she's she's a young lady, but um, she had her first ever kebab. Wow, wow! At, uh, yeah, first ever. first first ever kebab. She she was a girl afraid Ooh. before she tried it, <laughs> but uh, she she uh, she was going she, nowhere fast after she tried it. <laughs> exactly. how, um, how, what did Baroness make of her first kebab, Kieran? And she it. it it was the. It wasn't as bad as I feared, um, but but she she left half of it for me, which which was even which was even better. You know, well, coming from the Baroness, not as bad as I was feared is the highest of praise, Gary. That's, <laughs> yes, well. absolutely. Um, uh, and anybody who fancies coming along to see us at Plymouth, uh, we, we had a great time out in Leicester um, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you. If you want to support the show in another way. Give, give us a review. Uh, it, it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. Um, it, it doesn't matter what you would say. You could even say you would rather the show be presented by Andy Rourke and Johnny Marr, and we'd be so proud of you if you did. Oh, wouldn't that be good if that could happen? Uh, I feel we should dedicate this pod, Kieran, to two Andys. Andy yes, Rourke. absolutely. Andy Rourke, who gave us both so much pleasure as, as young men, with his musical talent, and still does, with his musical talent, and my dear old mate Andy Smart, who gave me so much laughter and was a big fan of our pod, and it's uh, a sad loss to comedy and Farnborough Town. So raise a glass to two Andys, everybody, and we shall see you next time. Bye. Bye.
provide some football.